one of the things I believe in is this law of reciprocity, which is if you're giving and you give without the idea that you're going to have anything in return, it'll somehow find its way back to you with karma. And so it's, it's like a rule that I believe in. So I'm always trying to help others out as much as I possibly can. You have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. Discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Brought to you by your host, Dorothy Ilson. Welcome everyone to episode 15 of the Do Well and Do Good podcast. My name is Dorothy, I'm your host, and before I introduce today's guest, I have a super exciting announcement. See, if you're listening to this episode on the day it launches, that means it's October 1st, and we are voting on the September edition of the Do Well and Do Good Challenge. Now, what does that mean? It means that you can head over to our free Facebook community and make your voice heard on which of the incredible nonprofits nominated by our guests in September that I will donate 10% of my Facebook agency's profits to. I couldn't be more excited to see which unbelievable organization we're going to be able to support this month. So head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook to vote. Now today's guest is none other than Chad Rubin. Fresh out of college and Wall Street, Chad took his family vacuum business online and built his own direct-to-consumer e-commerce business called Crucial Vacuum. He grew it from zero to a $20 million valuation in just seven years. He's also a top 250 Amazon seller and co-founder of Scubana, one of e-commerce's hottest operational softwares. Now, when it comes to doing good, Chad has built that into the very fabric of his e-commerce business. See, they sell filter replacements, vacuum filters, air filters, coffee filters, and for every thousand sold, they plant a tree. He also gives back by teaching kids in inner city schools about entrepreneurship and donating a portion of his corporate proceeds to NYC Mamas Give Back, a nonprofit started by his sister, Shauna. So without further ado, here's my chat with Chad. Chad, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I'd love to kick things off by hearing what are you most excited about right now? Well, I love building businesses. So in terms of like the not the business side of things, for sure, it would be the fact that I'm scaling Subana. I'm also running other businesses simultaneously. And I just, I just love the thrill in, bus- in building businesses. Chad, I know that growing up, your parents owned a brick and mortar vacuum business, but I read in your book that that experience didn't exactly inspire you to be an entrepreneur. Why was that? Well, I grew up in a wealthy town of Westfield, New Jersey. I think most kids were like their parents had worked on Wall Street for the most part. My parents somehow were living like well above their means. So they had a vacuum store and they were struggling though. So they could never pay rent. Their credit cards were matched out. They had like 30 of them. So I always thought to myself, this is what an entrepreneur's life is like. This is like the bottom of the barrel. Like, so I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never even wanted to be in the vacuum space. I wanted to go work for a company and get a safety, nice check. It would make me feel warm at night. Yeah, that's what I did. As I went onto Wall Street right away, and I, I actually majored in it. I was a first-generation college grad. And I was first-generation college 
and I uh, studied finance and boom, went on to Wall Street. So tell us the story. You're working on Wall Street. How did you go from there to doing exactly what you didn't want to do and start Crucial Vacuum? Yeah. So Wall Street was a tough place. I'd be working from like 7 a.m. till about 2 a.m. every day. Wow. Barely was coming home. Sometimes I slept at the office. My wife or my girlfriend at the time was like, Chad, what's going on? It's either your work or it's me. So while this was all happening, Walmart opened up right next door to my parents' store in a shopping center. And they started getting hit. And I was covering on, on Wall Street, I was actually doing research on Amazon, like stocks. So I was covering Amazon at the time. And I was like, oh my God, Amazon has this great marketplace. You guys should get onto it. And they were like, we don't know anything about selling on the internet. Who's going to buy stuff on the internet? And so they really just misunderstood technology. And I was like, okay, we need to capitalize on this. So we start, I started helping them resell products on the online while I was on Wall Street. And I eventually was let go. And then a whole door opened up for myself. What was your mindset then when you, when you got laid off? I mean, did you immediately see this as an opportunity to go help your parents or how did that go? I, so at the time when I got let go, it was two, January, 2009. It was two weeks after I proposed to my wife. And so I got let go. And by the way, when you're proposing to somebody, you're like, you always want to time it right. So like you, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing the best I can possibly be doing and it's, and we're doing great. So now it's time to do it. And boom, I got let go when I was, and it was vulnerable. And I think it affected me. So when I got let go, Obama had some retraining programs available that he announced in New York, that people that got laid off from finance can actually t- take these retraining programs. So I took a design class in the city, which was for free, which is amazing. And I took a developer class, which was free in the city. That was amazing. While I was doing this, my father was like, hey, but you can really do really well in this business working with us. And I was like, dad, I don't want to be in the vacuum business. And I was like, I can help you though from my couch. So I started helping them still from my couch and then kind of moonlighting, doing this side stuff like figuring out design, graphic design, web design, and development. So obviously, you know, Crucial Vacuum became your you know, first huge success as an entrepreneur. So it seems that looking back, getting laid off was probably the best thing that could have happened to you. Is that how you see it? It was a blessing. It was amazing. So for anyone who finds themselves you know, laid off or out of work and just feeling like it's the end of the world, what advice would you give that person? Well, you can't always see the, the greatness in what happens in the moment like when you're feeling down. And so I think my advice would be like, if a door closes, it's actually room for an opportunity. And I'll share a quick story with you. When my father, so I got let go. My father was like, he saw I, I was upset. So he's like, son, I'm coming into the city to see you. And I um, left the office in my brown like, crate and I had all my stuff in this crate and I take a taxi home and he's sitting in front of my door. And actually, my, my apartment on the Upper West Side in New York was next to an elementary school. And right when I got home is when the elementary school, like, let out. Right? And the kids were, like, seeing their parents. And, like, it was a, quite a scene. And so my father said, Chad, do you see those kids over there? And I said, yeah. Like, they're free, and so are you. And so it actually opened up this, like, large opportunity of, to, like, taste what freedom is like and that I don't have to, like, work under the corporate confines and like to think out of the box a little bit and to reevaluate and reassess who I am as an individual because like who I was when I majored in finance to when I like graduated college to when I started working, very different individuals. And there's like this evolutionary process that's happened. So it sounds like your parents, you know, have been a huge support. And so 
I'm curious, what beliefs around money did your family instill in you growing up? And would you say those were helpful or harmful to you in achieving success? So my, my parents struggled with money. Um, and if you look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like we weren't even actually able to, that's like the fundamental basis of like trying to achieve like some sort of happiness is just making sure that your needs are met on a, on a level of like, can we put food on the table? Is there a roof over our head? And so the topic of conversations when I was growing up was, how are we going to pay the bills? Mm-hmm. How are we going to stay in our house? Uh, how are we going to pay the store rent? And I was involved in those conversations at a very early age. And I think it taught me the value of money. I also would work at my father's store when I was 12. But I also had, it, I think it had a effect on myself in terms of as an entrepreneur, right? Because like I'm very, in my house, like my wife would tell you that like I have issues around money, right? Because I never had it growing up. And so now that I do, I, I, I've sort of one-upped my family, right? Because I am first-generation college grad and I've been able to create some wealth. It's just, it's, it's, it's something that I'm always kind of looking in the rearview mirror being like, wait, is this real? Is this going to last forever? Like I'm very paranoid. I would say that I think that paranoia is somewhat helpful for success, but also affects me in other parts of my life. So would you say that you know, having that kind of paranoia, I guess, what would be the, the positives and the negatives? Obviously, it drives you. What would be the, the flip side of that? Paranoia would be, it would drive me where I never want to be where my parents were, like not be able to pay the rent again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say the negatives of money would be like I check my bank account every day to make sure it's still there. I am cautious of where we spend money. I, I made sure that you know, if there's any leftover soap or shampoo from a hotel room, I bring it home and use it. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So what would you say has been your biggest motivator in reaching for financial freedom? Well, first of all, I had to pay the bills. Like when I got let go of Wall Street and it was a very good, comfortable paycheck and bonus structure, I needed to pay a rent. And so that was motivation. But also I think motivation is like, I never want to be where I was when I was younger. Like having to like pinch pennies through like couch cushions is not a place for anybody to be. It's a very hard place to be. So I think looking back and being like, okay, I never want to just keeps me running Mm -hmm. doing a marathon and keep going, which is why I have like so many businesses. It's not just like that they came to me and it was just luck that it happened. Yeah. I mean, I think you have this really unique perspective having gone from Wall Street where you really wanted the security of a paycheck to jumping headfirst into being an entrepreneur. So what would you say, any thoughts on like what some of the biggest misconceptions that young people have about achieving financial success, what those would be? Well, once you achieve it, then you want more, number one. Two, like I was just telling you before I started recording, like I went on this entrepreneur retreat and all of us entrepreneurs are sitting in a room working on all these problems. And so I think that a lot of society like sort of glamorizes entrepreneurs these days. Like you ask kids what they want to be and they want to be entrepreneurs now. They don't want to be lawyers or doctors. At least that's what I'm seeing quite frequently. And I don't think anybody sees like the other part of being an entrepreneur, right? The sleepless nights, the, the real grind of what it takes to, to, to have a successful business. Yeah, it's such an emotional roller coaster. And were there any moments as you were you know, helping your parents starting to build uh, Crucial Vacuum? You, did you have moments where you wanted to give it up and go back to a job? Or were you confident that you know, no matter how hard it was that you were going to make it work? 
So my parents never actually had the crucial. So we, they were always reselling products. I just want to clarify, they were always reselling product. And then I started this D2C business on my own. There are a lot of points in my career. I don't think I ever wanted to like give up, but I was at a point where I was unsure about the future. Because I don't, and I know that like, and I actually, there probably have been like maybe one or two like really low points where I thought about giving up, but that, those are like moments in time. It's kind of like a, a fleeting feeling that I felt. And then I was like, wait a minute, I could never give up. Like, how could I live my, with myself if I gave up in this moment? I would feel like I just was a loser, right? I would feel like I just, uh, I wouldn't be able to live with myself with that decision. So I think it, it's like the frame of mind at the time. Would you say that at the time you were deliberately working on your mindset and you know staying positive, thinking about keeping in the the headspace that you needed to be able to keep going? Okay, let me experience share. So when I before I outsourced my warehouse, I had an entire warehouse team, and I had so I had eight people in the office. I had another fifteen or twenty people in a warehouse, and I am knew nothing about running a warehouse. Building an operations warehouse was insane to me. And I couldn't manage, these employees were like colluding. And so when I let go of one of these employees who was colluding, and we're talking about like certain individuals that work in a warehouse on the East Coast, uh, I didn't do like background checks or anything like that. And so I was like with them unloading containers and I was very unhealthy. Sometimes I would have a cigarette. Sometimes I was like, I was just eating all this like fatty foods. So I was pre-diabetic. And so finally... I got a report from like OSHA, OSHA compliance. Like once I let go of this guy, OSHA came in and we're like, you need to shut down your operation. There's a lot of OSHA compliances, violations that are happening. So the only people that can pick and pack these products was myself and my wife. So my wife comes in and she's just like, Chad, like you need to get rid of this warehouse. Like you need to do something. And that's when I outsourced the warehouse. That's one moment at the bottom where I was like, what am I going to do? I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I need to make a change. And when you start feeling that way, you need to actually think carefully about what, and like now, if I had my warehouse today, I wouldn't be able to do everything that I'm doing. I wouldn't be able to like run another business and do all these other things. So it's been a, a blessing sort of in disguise, but it wasn't just like luck either. It was actually me making a decision saying, okay, things aren't working. Let's reevaluate. Let's reassess where I'm at. Now, Chad, your book is called Cheaper, Easier, Direct, How to Disrupt the Marketplace and Create Your Own E-Commerce Empire. And when I first read it about six months ago, it really drastically altered my perception of how to start a sustainable e-commerce business. Because there's really such a craze right now around selling on Amazon and making money by tapping into existing demand for products. But your advice on building an e-commerce business offers a really different take from what you see everyone else teaching. So for listeners who might not be familiar with that world, could you explain what the common approach to selling on Amazon is and how that differs from what you teach in your book? Sure. So Amazon has this marketplace of two, three million, about three million sellers. So they've taken this idea of like a marketplace, like a flea market and brought it into the, into the digital world. So anybody can sell tomorrow on the internet. Now, what I started doing about 10 years ago was I went direct to consumer, meaning I cut out the middleman with my own brand. So in the old days, there was these large incumbents that sold on the internet, like Procter and Gamble, or not on the internet, just like in general, right? They had these like large distribution deals with Walmart or Target or any of these big, big companies. Think like Reynolds Tinfoil. So I saw an opportunity where we can cut out the middleman, lower the infrastructure costs because I'm much more nimble and I can buy these things and sell at a lower price. And that has caught on 
because people were tired of uh, competing for the buy box on Amazon. So Amazon has this coveted buy box where everyone goes into a listing and sells it, and then they just compete based on price and becomes this sort of like hissing contest. So early on, I noticed that there's a way that I can actually overcome this, which is trademark my own brand and create my own product at a lower price to sell direct. And those were the good days. Those were, those, that was the wild, wild west days. Uh, and everyone caught on to that. I picked an interesting niche, which was vacuum filters, coffee filters, and air filters to tackle. But there's a lot of other great niches that people could have captured in that moment in time as well. So that's the world that we're in. Uh, and now it's gotten to a point where there's three to five million sellers. I think there's about three million in the United States, roughly. And they're launching products that are just follower products, meaning there's 100,000 rolls of toilet paper or toilet paper holders on Amazon right now for sale if you type in toilet paper holder. So everyone's coming out with these Me Too products and they're not really innovating for the next thing. And so these limitations are forcing people to make the wrong decisions. So long story short, the idea is in my book is to really solve a problem, right? Innovate a category or a product or find that white space that's defensive, but that actually solves a problem. And the way to find the problems is to read this massive review database in Amazon, like just constantly read reviews, see what people are unhappy with and innovate and iterate based on that. What would be some examples of direct-to-consumer companies who have done this that people might be familiar with? So I actually, it's funny, like for me, I wasn't the first to invent a vacuum filter, right? I was just, I found a better way to sell it, cheaper, easier, and direct. And that's what's happening, actually, if you look at what's happening in the United States right now, you have someone like Casper Mattress, uh, they didn't invent the mattress. They were like, okay, we can actually solve this problem at it in a cheaper way, make it more convenient for people, and even just like have better marketing behind it. Allbirds is another one, a shoe company. And they did not invent the shoe. They just were like, hey, let's, let's make a shoe that's washable, uh, that's wool, that's comfortable, that kind of feels like slippers. Warby Parker is another one, Dollar Shave Club. The list goes on and on. Brooklinen. Like, so there's all these categories that are being disrupted saying, hey, we can make something that's better, do better marketing towards it, and do it much more efficiently and do it far less expensive than buying it in a regular brick and mortar store. And it's so fascinating because these aren't necessarily very, you know, sexy products. You know, the, the people who started Dollar Shave Club, for example, I, I would imagine you, know, you talk in your book about how it's really all about figuring out what are those things that annoy you? You know, are, are you annoyed by having to go to Walgreens or CVS and spend $25 on a pack of razor blades that are in a you know, locked case? Uh, and so they just thought, you know, how can we flip that on its head and create a better experience? And it's a billion dollar brand. Totally. And so I think these opportunities are still around and you just have to sort of like listen to yourself and listen to like, so for example, I just went on vacation to Montauk, New York, uh, sort of past the Hamptons, like the end of New York, all the way east. And I've been unhappy with my mattress for a really long time. And so I decided, I found a mattress at this hotel that I really liked. I, I peeled off the mattress cover and found it and they sell it on the internet. Like it's an internet driven mattress company. And I actually ended up buying that mattress and it was like delivered to my house as I get home from vacation, which is amazing. That's awesome. So for someone who is maybe looking to get out of the nine to five and start a business, they're entrepreneurial, do you think that e-commerce is a, a good path to consider in 2018? And if so, what advice would you give on how to start to identify those opportunities in the marketplace? To answer the first question, e-commerce is only 10% of all retail sales right now. So there's a lot to capture 
that's uncaptured, number one. Number two is there's constantly opportunities that I'm thinking about in my head where, okay, this, I, I just find problems that I have in my life where, that aren't solved and, capitalize, and to capitalize on them. So how would they do that? They would probably, I would probably do the you know, walk through your life, see what's bothering you assessment. And you have to also ask yourself, like, why do you want to get out of the nine to five? Like, what are you trying to achieve? And make sure that becomes like your purpose, if that's what you're trying to achieve. Because like a lot of times, like your business as an entrepreneur can just like take over and overcome the purpose of why you actually left the nine to five to begin with. So I think it's purpose driven, making sure that you're leaving for the right reasons, and then finding what you want to capitalize on. Because like not everyone can can become a successful entrepreneur. Like you look at my family business, it's the same thing. And so, and the cost of that success for me, I mean, I'm really, really busy. I haven't actually taken a break today, but if your product does take off and you hit a home run, and we've talked about this before where Babe Ruth had a, I think eight or 9% home run rate. If it does take off, then you have to start working on your next one before someone copies what you've already capitalized on. Right? So Casper, now there's like 15 other mattress companies that are trying to take away their market share. So you have that head start for only a very short period of time so you need to like, find a new angle and another way to capitalize on that opportunity. How has risk-taking played into your success? I'm definitely a risk-taker. Uh, and I take risks sometimes without even actually assessing the risk or thinking about the risk. And now I'm actually, I've actually done a lot better at this, this risk assessment, but I do have an appetite for risk, which, again, I think that's one piece of being a successful entrepreneur is being able to take that risk and identify it. <laughs> it's funny, when I got laid off of Wall Street and I, I told my sister who took a more sort of safe route, and she's a social worker, but also started her own not-for-profit, she was like, wait a minute, you want to, let me get this right. So we struggled all through growing up and selling vacuum cleaners and accessories. And you want to now sell vacuum accessories on the internet. And you think you're different because why? Like, so she was just questioning what I was doing. And I was like, look, I, I, I trusted my craziness and I went with it. And it's worked out for me. Would you say that you, know, you find fulfillment through you know, what you do for work? Or is that something that you really need to look for outside of your professional pursuits? Well, I, I do love what I do. It's very hard, uh, especially this new software business. It's kind of like a crying baby. Yeah. Even when you ask, like, if you ask parents about when they have kids, they'll say, oh, this little kid is like torturing me, he's keeping me up, but it's been so worth it. And I describe my, I don't have any kids, I have a cat, but I describe my business in the same way. Like it's definitely very busy. It keeps me up at night, but in the end, it's been a really worthwhile journey. Are there any noticeable differences in the the major challenges that you face building the uh, the software company Scubana versus an e-commerce business? Yes. So e-commerce, you just buy low and you sell high. Like that's the goal. It's very different in software because you don't just buy low, you sell high. You need to build it which comes at a cost and you need to keep building. You need to support the building and keep adding on to that building and still find customers to keep, to retain, to keep paying, to keep the lights on in the building. So it's a completely different animal, like so different. And like probably one of the biggest challenges that I've ever encountered in my business career has been software. And I think most people think, oh, it's software. You build it, you sell it, and that's it. And that's totally not the case. And I think that goes back to me. Maybe I, I saw mentors that were speaking in the software space that like maybe glamorized it a bit. And 
I didn't know like the inner workings, like, hey, this is a really, really hard business to pull off. And there's a lot of moving parts, right? Engineering, sales, account management, which is retention and it's customer experience and supporting those clients. And then SEO and then content marketing and podcasts and webinars and events. So there's just a lot more to it. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned mentors. And I'm definitely going to call you out here because something that I just thought was unbelievably cool was when I when I first met you, we were at a conference and we met in the hallway and I mentioned to you that I was interested in e-commerce and you just <laughs> offered right there on the spot to, you know, hey, if you have questions, let's hop on a call. I can talk through some of this stuff with you. I was just so blown away by that. And you, know, you actually followed through on that offer. You know, we got on the phone and, and started to develop a relationship. And given everything that you have going on, you know, running multiple businesses, you know, the fact that you offered to hop on a call with someone you just met just to help them and provide that kind of mentorship, I think is really remarkable. So could you talk a little bit about what role mentorship has played, you know, both in your own professional development and now kind of being on the other side of it and mentoring other people? Sure. One of the things I believe in is this law of reciprocity, which is if you're giving and you give without the idea that you're going to have anything in return, it'll somehow find its way back to you with karma. And so it's like a rule that I believe in. So I'm always trying to help others out as much as I possibly can and, get, and, and so that maybe they can pay it forward as well. So planting those seeds. So that's a value that I like. And who knows, like it could be down the line, you have some breakthrough or you need, or you know something that I have a question about, or maybe it's a Facebook something or other that I might be able to tap you for. So in terms of like, I, I do, I do love teaching too. So I like, and so I like giving and I like mentoring and I like teaching and I like creating an audience, which is part of why I liked Stubana so much is that we are not really going to find customers. We build an audience through education. And when people hear that I'm educating and I'm helping them, they suddenly like a light goes on. They're like, wait a minute, Chad actually like knows a lot. Maybe he could, maybe I should check out their software. So that's like where I think mentorship comes in for me. And it, it's a much different experience when you're selling to somebody and they respect you as an educator versus you're just trying to sell them like a used car sale. So that's really, really important to me. In terms of finding mentors, so it's really hard to find. So let's see. So my father-in-law is a mentor for me. He's a psychotherapist, a business coach, and we experience share and we and he helps me with a lot of issues that I struggle with. So it's important to find somebody that actually can help you with things that you're going through for sure. So then I also do a lot of self-help. I do a lot of masterminds as well. And I do a lot of audiobooks and reading to help with just like the things that I'm going through. There's sometimes like my like I was mentioning earlier, pre-call, like I have a lot of friends who work in the corporate world that can't really relate to what I'm going through. And so finding others that can understand and have empathy for what I'm going through, but have been there, done that is like so important and can save me like hours and hours of time. I agree a hundred percent. And I know, you know, I'm of course just getting started on my entrepreneurial journey, but mentorship has already played such a huge role. So that's so important. And the law of reciprocity, I mean, that is at play in absolutely everything that we can do. And so having that mindset of, you know, how can I help people keeping your eyes open for those opportunities is incredible. 
So Chad, when it comes to giving back, I know there are a lot of different things you do, everything from planting trees through your business to working with kids in inner city schools. What cause would you say you're most passionate about? I would probably say, well, I'm also, when it comes to like giving back, I also do a lot of teaching for people that are just like having or struggling. Maybe they're entrepreneurs, maybe they're entrepreneurs and they just want to take their business next level. So I do a lot of like trying to help people connecting resources and connecting dots of my network to make sure that they succeed. When it comes to actually like giving back to not, not for profits, uh, I would say there's probably, I would probably say the National Federation for Teaching Entrepreneurship is, is pretty impactful for me just because it's going into inner city underprivileged communities and teaching them, hey, you don't need to be selling drugs as an entrepreneurial activity, but you can actually find an out by going to school or being an entrepreneur. Uh, and I came from nothing too, so we, that we sh- I share that with them, and I share the story. And like I also, some of these schools, like a lot of the kids are like into like hip hop or rap, and so I I, ha- I have that in common with them as well. So I can I feel like they can relate to me to a degree. That's amazing. So I know that you also plant a tree for every filter that Crucial Vacuum sells. So could you tell us the story of how that started and how it kind of works in practice? So it's every thousand filter, every thousand filters we sell, it's a tree. And so at the end of the year, we sort of calculate all the filters that we've sold uh, and decide like where we want to plant a tree. So uh, I think two years ago, it was like Israel. This past year is like on a farm. So it was like to, to just, just fruits uh, and stuff, which to me has like a utility, which was fun to do. So we donated to a farm. I'm not sure what we're going to do this year yet. Uh, but it's certainly like it's because we're using filter, we're using paper, right? We're actually using paper, which comes from trees. And we're, for me, it was just like, okay, how can we actually like invest back into the earth? If you had to take a rough guess, how many trees do you think that Think Crucial has been responsible for planting? I would say like thousands of trees. I'm not sure how many exactly. That's amazing. But yeah, it's, it's cool. Very cool. And then like actually the farm sent us like photos of the trees which was a fun experience because like, you know, when you sometimes when you like invest in like these, you have them plant these trees that like, you just never see the, the output or the result of it. Uh, and so that was a great experience too. And I love how congruent it is. You know, every business of course has some sort of negative impact typically, whether it be on, you know, on the environment or, you know, the fact that you recognize that, you know, you're using paper to build, you know, to create your products. And then that is the way that you're then going to, you know, offset that negative impact on the planet is, is really remarkable. So I commend you for that. Absolutely. Thank you. And like a lot of people on Amazon, like don't even know that, like a lot of shoppers on Amazon are shopping for the lowest price, or there's a lot of copycats out there. It's just one way that we differentiate ourselves. So it's good, it's good that others know that when they're shopping Amazon, like, hey, it's not just about price, it's about experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with every business, there is, there's always a way to turn it into not only a for-profit business, but a for-purpose business. And so if every entrepreneur could just figure out, you know, what are the, some simple things that they could do to create that in, in their own ventures, um, it would really make a massive impact. Yeah, for sure. Well, so Chad, thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. So I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of short questions and I'd like for you to respond with basically the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? Ready. All right. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? Uh, I would probably say it has to be my sister. 
my sister like has just always been like complimentary to me where she like when we were growing up for example she would uh we would have stuff like we would, she would have clothing for example and she would go and donate clothing to like actual homeless people on the streets so we drive around new york city we'd be dropping off these jackets to homeless people so she's like instilled this inside of me uh growing up and i just saw her as a and she of course with uh mamas give back nyc mamas give back uh she saw somebody on the street with a child that was homeless and she like just gave her pretty much all this baby stuff she just gave it to her on the side of the street which is amazing and then she started doing this on facebook she said anybody else have anything to donate and so all these like wealthier individuals start donating what they have having a child so anyway long story short is like having her as a role model has been incredible and also giving back to her organization has been also a great experience any other words about her organization so basically they they support pregnant women who you know don't have the resources to yeah they get so she has like a whole facebook group and so they'll say hey there's this woman on this corner of the street who doesn't have anything who has anything that we can donate and she actually has these not-for-profit movers trucks come pick up stuff and deliver it. And sometimes they help women like take them off the streets and put them into a proper place where they can actually get some like comfort as they're, as they're pregnant. So she has like a whole board now of, of, of individuals helping her with volunteers, and like a very active Facebook community. That's incredible. So then Chad, the next one, when you're having a bad day or you're in a negative headspace, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? So I, I have an app, the Calm app. So I use that for body scans. So they'll have like a three-minute, five-minute, ten-minute body scan. I also enjoy going to like a coffee shop and just getting some headspace and just like taking in the scenery, which also gives me just like a time out away from the office. Uh, and also sometimes I like to smoke a little hookah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> then what book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? Other than your own, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Shoe Dog was a great book by Phil Knight. It's the co-founder, it's a memoir of the co-founder of Nike. And I usually don't like story-driven books, but this book, for some reason, just like, it was like entrepreneur therapy for me. And it's just a story about how he started Nike. Everyone sees it as just like this billion-dollar company. And this guy went through so much stuff to create Nike and a lot of downs and a lot of ups. So it's called Shoe Dog. Uh, And the second one I just have to say is uh, Chris Ducker's book, Virtual Freedom. Amazing, had a huge impact on me to like, just identify weaknesses in my business and how I can leverage those to strength by finding people to do it better, quicker, cheaper, easier, direct, really. Yeah. It's so, it's so funny that you mentioned that book because the reason I uh, was thinking of his company when you said his name is that I literally just ordered that book on Amazon a couple days ago. And I know that you are a huge proponent of outsourcing. Any quick comments on, on that and why it's so valuable? It's valuable because you can't do everything on your own. And when you're hiring local to your business, it's hard to find staff that have the skill set that you need at a price point that's cost-effective and economical. So when you're remote, it allows you to find individuals, a talent pool. It widens your entire talent pool to all over the world. And that's amazing. That's amazing. Like No one had this 10 years ago. And so I essentially outsource all my weaknesses and like, Specifically, one of the challenges that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with right now is email, inbox flow. And email is not actual work, right? It's actually a de- deterring you from work because every email you send, you get 1.5 back. So how do you actually create an environment that allows you to do what's valuable and most productive and that's going to have the highest impact on your organization while getting rid of low value 
repetitive mundane tasks, and that is finding other people to do this for you. This is a bit of a selfish question because I'm curious about this for myself, but when it comes to having a VA kind of handle your email, how do you do that in practice? Because most messages, I would assume, you know, they require your, your brain, your thinking power to know what to say. So there's, you can actually tier. If you actually think about the emails that come into your inbox and like write them down throughout the day, not all of them are the most important. Some of them are scheduling, some of them are calendar. So over time, I'm a huge fan of Westworld. The VA will understand the loops that are in your life the stories between individuals that are happening and understand what's appropriate. So it takes time. So there's like no real SOP that you can create that can actually mimic who you are, but you can identify sort of what are the tier one emails versus tier two versus tier three and how to be a chameleon to actually interact with those different email flows. So typically they're drafting for me, at least when they, when I, when they first start with me, they draft what they think the response should be. And I go in and correct that response and it becomes this evolving process. So they actually kind of think the way I think on email flow. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you going into those tangents for us. And Dorothy, by the way, this podcast was set up by my VA. Did you notice the difference between? I didn't. (laughs) No, that's crazy. (laughs) So so it was set by the VA, but she did give me instructions in terms of like what I had to read or prep for in advance. Yeah. It was extremely helpful. Wow. Very cool. So then the final impact round question, Chad, what's the best piece of advice you'd give our listeners? So the best piece of advice I would give is that if you're looking to perhaps maybe you want to be an entrepreneur, maybe you already are, first understand like what it is that you're looking for, like why do you want to like dig deep, understand why you want to leave the corporate world, understand why, what's your intention and what's your purpose for leaving and make sure that you write that intention down like and put it in maybe even a sealed envelope so that when you you decide to do whatever you're doing, you reopen that envelope back up and you can understand, okay, am I actually like doing what I said I would do? Is this the true intention of why I left what I left? So just have a purpose. And also, secondly, on that is not just have a purpose, but solve a problem. So make sure like whatever you're doing, that not only are you living by your purpose, but you're solving a problem that's like helping others. And that's the way that you're going to be able to be successful on whatever you decide to do. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Chad. And as you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where we encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. So could you tell us which nonprofit that you'll be nominating and why? Well, I have to go with my sister's not-for-profit or nonprofit, uh, NYC Mamas Give Back. And I think that she just does a tremendous job and with such, with no other intention outside of like to help mothers in need to actually succeed. So that's who I would nominate. Awesome. Well, we will link to that in the show notes. And lastly, Chad, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about your businesses and to follow your content? Great, great question. So you can always email me, Chad at Stubana. I promise I will respond. I can't promise it's always going to be me. (laughs) <laughs> so you email me, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn or Instagram. It's Chad Rubin and I look forward to connecting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time today, Chad. It's been so awesome to have you here. Thanks for having me. Well, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off from our chat with Chad, I want to tell you about all of the other amazing things happening inside of our free Facebook community. In addition to being able to vote for the Do Well and Do Good Challenge, 
You'll also find a link to my calendar where we can schedule a time to chat one-on-one about your goals, your ambitions, and really how I can make this podcast more valuable for you. I'm also inside the group sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. So head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. My name's Dorothy. Thank you so much for listening.